I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... What, what people often misunderstand about Gen Z is they have a tremendous thirst to contribute. They have a tremendous thirst to participate, to work, and to make the world a better place. They have become more skilled, though, at doing that without the benefit of full human-to-human or what I call the human-form contact. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with producer Tracy Madigan. And today we are joined by Gary Danoff of Gary Danoff Consulting. He has a side job at a small company called Google, by the way. But Gary focuses on employees and their need and desire to provide empathy for each other on young professionals who are confused and concerned about what COVID did to their career. And here's a kicker. He has a whole program called How to Have a Great Day. It's Gary Denoff on What's Working in Washington. Here's our conversation. Gary, welcome to the show. It is just great to be here with you, Mark. Thanks for having me today. So besides running your uh, your, your consulting firm, you also have a another job, which is a full-time job at Google a small search engine that I hear is going to be a big one someday. You are the global global alliances leader for Google cloud and Google workspace, not Google workplace work, Google workspace. Great to have you because one of the things I noticed in the website and, and descriptions of your, of your engagements is uh, a new term for CEO. Many people think that stands for chief executive officer. It's in your world thought of as chief empathy officer. I love that term empathy in a C-suite title. Tell me how that sort of came to you and how your consulting clients and the other organizations you're involved with are responding to that new title. Yeah, happy to do that. You know, empathy is something that is a little bit different than compassion, but they're both very closely related. And empathy is when we can feel another person's name, whereas compassion is taking action to help other people with in some cases, they're suffering or uh, action that they need to take, in my case, both at Google and, and in my coaching. So I came to that because as I look around, mostly what people in public sector and private sector are facing who are new to the workforce or somewhere in their second or their third career journey, uh, they frankly need a lot of empathy and compassion. And I look around at the data from a number of sources that I pulse regularly, McKinsey and HBR, and I see that there's a lot of suffering that's happening out there. And so that's how I came up with the chief empathy officer. So your career spans some awfully well-known brands. Obviously, at Google now, you were at Microsoft, uh, SAP, NetApp, all technologically tilted companies, either software or services or both. Did you have you found in your consulting engagements that technology or software or service based companies like that have a lower sense of empathy or a more broadly uh, felt kind of sense of agita to the employees versus Procter and Gamble or GM or John Deere? Or am I off base? No, I think that's a good question. It's a fair question. Look, any publicly traded company that has to be servant to some degree to the quarterly numbers that they report to Wall Street is going to build up a head of steam that can unintentionally forget the employee, forget the people who are on the front line. And and frankly, that can also be true in the public sector, even though there's no profit motive, there's 
agencies and missions that are very kind of driven hard to get done what they need to get done in the military and in the civilian corps. And so because of that, uh, what happens is, is that the human in the equation, save nothing of AI, which we can talk about later, the human in the equation gets a little bit lost. And does it happen in the technology world? Absolutely. Is that the only place that it happens? In, let's say in manufacturing or retail, it happens there too. Yeah. Well, you mentioned government. I, I actually worked for the federal government uh, and the Obama administration as a political appointee. And to your point, I saw I was with the Small Business Administration, which had a pretty tightly defined mission. Uh, but in some of the broader ones, agriculture, education, other agencies that had you know, education, like there's so many things to do there, that sometimes there was, if not mission creep, there seemed to be uh, some fuzziness around the around the focus. Mm. And I think that I think that dripped down into the career employees. Have you had federal or state governments or even uh, municipalities as clients? And did you see that as well? Uh, yes, I have. I've had individuals who work for municipalities and federal government and state government. I've, I've worked with those individuals over the course of my long career here in Washington, mostly as a, a servant through the technology industry to federal and state and local agencies. And, and as a result of that, I've had the privilege and the pleasure of coaching a number of people in government. And yes, that, that does, they are affected as well by scope creep, by mission creep, and by uh, losing a sense of balance uh, in their lives. And, and look, let's face it, Mark, all of us in the last three years, given the COVID pandemic, we've all gotten off our center. We've all been tilted. We've all been a little um, confused. And, and so now people are trying to come back and find their way back. And uh, I'm about helping them to do that. That is emphasize their humanity in a digital world. That's the voice of Gary Danoff. Gary is our guest on What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with producer Tracy Madigan. Gary is um, obviously coaching the, co the topics that you've heard us talk about this morning. But also, Gary, you just touched on something that I think is absolutely crucial, and that is that, that COVID just took a bite out of everybody. And I think it took a bite out of everybody in both career and in many ways, interpersonal relationships. And we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. But young professionals, at least in my exposure to them, young professionals had a chapter, I would suggest, out of their sort of their ladder of, of, of ascension. If they, if they had a company they wanted to rise in or even in a career, had a chapter just sort of of, of stasis. And, and that, that chapter, I think, of stasis, of just kind of frozen in place, has really affected their perception of what it means to have a full career. One of the phrases I want to throw your way is uh, is um, like quitting in place, I think, was or something along those lines. Yeah. How do you deal with clients or companies who hire you to re-energize those types of individuals? Well, first, I'll say that's my very favorite type of work to do is to bring a transformation to individuals or teams and, and help people find the energy that's already within them. But it's been doused a little bit because of COVID. And you're absolutely correct. The cohort that I have the most concern about are those people who are what we would call Gen Z and millennials, people who, broadly speaking, are between 19 and 40 years old today in their career. So they're just starting or they're on their second or their third career move. But all of them have been affected by, by COVID and the data shows it in terms of how they're feeling about the work, how they're feeling about connected to their community at work, how they're feeling about the possibility of buying a home, how they're feeling about 
the possibility of being able to retire one day. And so what they need is for people who are their current new network of mentors and advisors, bosses and peers to really be a little bit more sensitive and dig in a little bit deeper as to where they're coming from and why. And, um, and one of the programs that I have helps mid-level managers and senior leaders open up to understanding that and then act upon that. I hate to sound mundane, but I think on that vein, this whole argument over return to work, what is the schedule? Is it three days a week, five days a week? Is it, is it alternative work schedules no matter what? And for the type of employee and the type of job, obviously different. I, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm old, but I, I remember so well the value of interacting in a workplace each day with my colleagues around my age, you know, whatever Absolutely. the equivalent back then, uh, 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 baby boomers. And, and I, I thought that was crucial for career advancement. Maybe I'm off base, but are you seeing a thirst for that in these younger Gen Z uh, millennial types? You know, yes and no. And I always used to hate it when people would give me that answer and be like, well, what do you mean? Yes and no. It can't be both. Are you in the middle? Like pick a side. But but for the fun of it, here's why I say that. Yes, they. what, what people often misunderstand about Gen Z is they have a tremendous thirst to contribute. They have a tremendous thirst to participate. They have a tremendous desire by and large, to work and to make the world a better place. I'm not sounding Pollyannish about that, but just look up some of the data. And they, they do want to connect and they want to build relationships. They have become more skilled, though, in comparison, Mark, to you and I, both baby boomers, at doing that without the benefit of full human-to-human -human or what I call the human form contact. And so, you know, they've developed skills and coping mechanisms that you and I didn't have to develop. That said, I'll tell you a quick little story. A few weeks ago, I went to an event in San Francisco called Google Next, which was fantastic. We hadn't had it in three years, 15,000 of our closest friends. And what did I notice? What did I observe beyond just the great new technology that we announced? It was that people enjoyed hugging. People enjoyed meeting for the first time. You know, I particularly noted that the connections that I made with people to whom I had previously only met in the digital form, when I met them in the human form, there was an added dimension previously absent. And so I left with even more confirmation that it's great that we have all these forms, Google Meet, for example, of how we connect with people, but it's important not to forget or to diminish the human element. And I think that's true also for Gen Z and millennials. I think they recognize that, but I'd love to hear from them. Well, I, I agree with your perception and your experience. I see similar versions as I go to events now, there's a lot more hugging. I'm not a huge hugger, but it means a lot more, a lot more hugging. And I think it is literally tactile. I mean, just touching somebody as opposed to uh, seeing somebody on a screen, but this, this takes me to another arena and I hate, I hate the term, it's so broad, but uncertainty. Um, I don't remember a time, certainly in my career, where there's so many, such a level of uncertainty as to the economic viability of certain sectors, as to the uh, wherewithal of certain corporations that used to be standard bearers. Just as a quick aside, I worked for General Electric for a short yeah. period of time, and who knew they would be you know, off the Dow and kind of in the, in the dumpster, although their stock's recovering. But you know, these were these were stalwarts for a century or more 
of American industry and, 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 and American business prowess. So this idea of uncertainty and the place you are, the job title you have, the uh, avenues for advancement or lack thereof, is that another theme you're seeing in uh, either millennials, Gen X's, or even in, in, in older members of the workforce? Uh, then I would answer that question, Mark, by saying yes, yes, and yes. All and, right, I got uh, three yeses. All good. You got, you got three yeses, three thumbs up on, on, on two hands. But I'd like to stick with addressing what the um, the Gen Z and the millennials are facing because, again, they've had this bereft period of time where, as you said, there's been a vacuum or an absence. And so a lot of times when I do a program for a group of people or for uh, a couple of leaders or, or mid-level managers, they say, you know what, Gary? There's so much uncertainty and fear. I mean, just look around at what happened in New York City this past weekend with the flooding in the subways. And you don't have to look very far or tune into very many channels to find something that can give you a sense of doubt or fear. And so people have said to me, can you just teach me how to have a good day? Just that simple. Can you teach me how to have a good day? And, and so I do. I have a program, you know, under news you can use right here, right now. Uh, there's four elements to it, which I can run through. But, yeah, people, um, it's not imagined that this stuff is going on. But the, but the magic is and the trick is, is to help yourself have a really great day and lean into the uncertainty in spite of it and still have a really great day. Wow. How to have a great day. It's Gary Danoff is our guest today on What's Working in Washington of Gary Danoff Consulting. Uh, when we return, we're going to talk about how to have a great day, but also talk about AI and the impact of AI in the workplace and all the issues that Gary sees with his clients. It's What's Working in Washington. We'll be back with that conversation after this. out a huge thank you to our listeners who put us in touch with some of the best voices in Washington, D.C. and the region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how businesses in the region are keeping us competitive. We talk to the brains in the nonprofit world, restaurant domain, and next-gen tech. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. Keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with producer Tracy Madigan. We, again, are joined by Gary Danoff of Gary Danoff Consulting. Gary has been around for 35 years at major corporations like Microsoft, SAP, NetApp, and currently at Google. But we've been talking about his consulting um, engagements and the consulting issues that he addresses about the workforce, be they, you know, old farts like me or rising youngsters from 19 years on up and how today's environment is a challenging one for 
workers, not just federal employees like many in Washington are listening to this show or around, around the nation or the world, but also people in pro professional environments, service environments, not-for-profits, whatever. One thing that Gary mentioned to engage you again, Gary, is you said how to have a great day is one of your one of the services you provide, or at least a, a set of set of instructions that you you suggest to people to follow. And you said you had four parts of that. Please tell me the four ways to have a great day. I am going to do it. You know, and, and when I deliver this program to people, it's an hour, a half day, a full day, and it can even be a retreat. It it goes to everybody, whether you're a leader, a manager, or a participant. And it came up because people. Uh, have so much fear and uncertainty with good reason that they, they asked me, can you just tell me what to focus on, Gary, and what strengths do I develop to have a great day? So I came up with a really simple four-element program, and I'm going to give you what the elements are here. And so number one is you have to have time each day for yourself about yourself. That could be in terms of daily meditation or prayer uh, observing nature, which is one of my favorite things to do. Like, for example, when I left my house this morning for my first walk of the day, I noticed that the pattern of the leaves on my driveway was changed from yesterday and from earlier in the morning. <clears throat> so taking a moment to do really simple things like that while you're having digital disconnection, not looking at my phone, not checking Instagram, not checking Gmail, the phone will wait. You know, it's all about me. So number one is having time for yourself about yourself. The second thing, if you'd like me to continue, Mark, is what Please. I call and it's um, it's it's time boxing. And I have on my wrist here, if the audience could see my my Google Fitbit and in it, there's a timer. And on that timer, I'm frequently boxing myself by 15 to 30 to 45 or 60 minute chunks of time where I want to get a specific task done. I find this so useful because during that time, I'm not suffering or subjected to any other interruptions from my phone or email or anything else. And the best part of time boxing is that when I've accomplished something, I'm going to give myself a small indulgence. But it's a small indulgence. Could be a piece of chocolate. It could be looking at a favorite YouTube video of mine that I like to follow. It could be one of those walks around the block. Or it could be something that falls in the same category, and that's what I call breath breaks, where I set a timer for one to three minutes, and I don't have to get up. I just sit in my desk chair, and I take what I call a breath break. I'm closing my eyes, and I'm simply focusing on my breath. I'm not trying to control it. I'm not in a, in a class or a governance. I'm just taking hold of my breath. And then number three and number four, uh, number three is time to manage my body. So you got to get something physical going on, swimming, Pilates, running, jogging, weightlifting, yoga, you know, you name it. I don't have to tell people about that. And the final one, number four, is I think kind of the hardest but has the greatest payback given all the uncertainty that we all fear and, and get subjected to. And that's called managing your mind. And the person who I like to refer to who taught me the most about managing my mind is the psychologist and author Gay Hendricks, who I had on my podcast a few episodes ago. And in his book, uh, The Big Leap, he talks about many things. And one of the things he talks about is the red folder 
and the green folder. And in the red folder, you simply make a list of all the things in the world that you can't control. Quick example, I can't control the stock market. I can't control the war in Ukraine. I can have some influence and make a contribution to uh, the environment by if I choose to uh, you know, use cloth versus paper towel, but there's so many things I can't. What can I control that goes in the green folder? How I react to people, how I treat myself, what I put out in the world, and what I choose to spend my, my career and my personal time on. So those are the four elements, Mark, about that I go into in some greater detail with some exercises around how to have a great day. So I love all four. Um, I'd like to think that there have been some awfully good days I've had where I've maybe done maybe all four, maybe three out of the four, two out of the four, but it seems like just listening to them, maybe even just one is, is, a, is a better start than, than not. But let me, let me take that have love a good day theme. That. Well, because it's true, I, I, I completely yeah. agree with your with your four uh, four, four segments. Um, the, the early on in my career, I was in New York working at at a home box office, and I was walking to work one day, and a guy on the street, a, a panhandler, saw me looking, you know, in my suit and my briefcase, looking very purposeful, and he said, "How about you, sir? Are you going to make a difference today?" Which I thought was a very, very um, astute and and well positioned pitch to me. I liked it so much. I gave him a dollar, which is back back in the, that year. That was real money. But this idea of making a difference, we touched on it earlier for younger employees that, that that not just a paycheck, not just a company you can brag about working for, but something that makes a difference, not just to them and their lives and their careers or their families, but to the world. How are you seeing younger employees in this time of uncertainty and what COVID did in managing the desire for making a difference and having some social impact? The way that I see it mostly, and I coach a number of people in that age cohort, um, as well as in your and my age cohort, quite frankly, but for millennials and Gen Z, they're not going to hang around if the goals of the company, and more importantly, the goals of what it is they've been brought there and receiving a paycheck to do, don't measure up to their desire to make an impact. They're just not going to do it. You know, you and I, I dare say, were brought up at a period of time where we stayed at a job longer. That was part of the ethos of the period of time when we came into the workforce. Um, it was more about a paycheck and providing for our family. But thank God, thank God that now it's more about the impact that people can have. And good for them for realizing quickly, this is either going to, this I can either make an impact here or I can't. Or secondly, it's going to take me a long time to make the impact that I want to make. And I can see over there, wherever over there is, I can make an impact and possibly make more money and advance my career more quickly by moving over there. And boom, off they go. And, and well, they should. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, that uh, observation for sure. I see it in the in institutions that I'm involved with. But let's get into the granularity of that, too. To their career, if you're 23 or 27 or even 37, the arrival of two letters AI into the workplace has, I would argue, shattered a whole lot of things you thought might might be going on in your next decade of work or next two decades of work. 
And as somebody recently said to me, I thought it was great. He said, you're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to somebody who's good at AI. We don't know where it's going to go for God. You know, no, no one does. Anybody who says they do is, is, is full of it or is an AI-generated chatbot that's just making words up. But the idea, the idea of AI affecting what is a productive career seems to be a constant source of uncertainty. How, how do you talk to your consulting clients about AI or... Do you, like I just said, say there's more to come? Stay tuned, stay nimble. Is there some solution that you're you're su suggesting? Well, I, I'm able to be more concrete, and it's not really it's to my Google customers because they want to know about AI, and and so do clients who I coach and advise. And look, a recent study showed that one of the groups that's more concerned about AI taking their jobs or affecting their jobs. It's up from 8% several years ago to 20% of higher degree of concern are college educated people. Yeah. And I can understand that because they're thinking that um, large language models, which produce responses to generative inputs and create outputs could in fact take away some of what it is that they're doing. And so here's what I say to them. Well, perhaps, but if those things are taken away, doesn't that liberate or at least invite you to go to the next level in your own creative thinking and the output and the impact that you could have because some of the mundane things are really, let's face it, less challenging things that you have been or were doing or will be asked to do are now going to be handled for you by an assistive asset called AI. And so that's the that's the frame that I take on it. I could look at myself and say, well, there'll be AI agents that could provide the coaching and advising that I do. Um, will that happen one day? Possibly, probably. Will I then go on to do something of a higher order of magnitude? I hope so. That that's what I believe. Well, hopefully, if you use AI right, you'll have time for your four elements of having a great day. But Listen, at the, end of, at the end of every show, Gary, uh, we like to ask our guests a kind of if I rule the world question, which is if okay. I rule the world or if you rule the world, what's one thing you would start happening that isn't or one thing you would stop happening that is or maybe both? One thing that I would stop happening is the need for different nations and countries to have to try and take over others. And I don't mean to sound Pollyannish, but... If I could delete that impulse or need or greed in the human condition, I would I would erase that. I would take that out. Um, but that's not going to happen anytime soon because uh, I'm not the Lord above. Uh, that's for sure. Start happening. I would say people to have more fun and live in the moment a little bit more than we are these days. You know, like don't 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 defer joy. Don't miss the opportunity to have that fun. You know, eat your ice cream because I know you're going to work out. Uh, don't defer joy. So as the youngsters say, this is YOLO, right? You only live once. Is, is that, that a fair summary of that second I, one? I, I guess so. I, I hadn't thought of that storied acronym, but yep, let's throw it on the pile there. Gary, it's a, I, I agree with both of your summaries as well. This has been an awfully a, a full of agreement session together. Gary Danoff. Uh, it's been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on What's Working in Washington. Thanks for having me, Mark. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. 
And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.